Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome into Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Very happy to have you along for the ride. We will be here for a while talking about American soccer just as you like and as I like. It's the way of the world right here on Soccer Morning. If you're watching the video show, you can see I'm very dapper today. That's not... um, that's not me dressing up for the show. And as much as I love you people, I don't really feel the need to dress up for this program. I have a, uh, a an engagement later. Well, basically, I have to take my kid to a school, and I don't want to look like a, a bum when I meet the teacher. That kind of thing. I, like, I don't know. I'm not really dressed up, but I'm dressed nicer than I normally would. I figure jeans and T-shirt, probably not the best way to go in that situation. I mean, I just a little bit of respect, maybe. I don't know. We've got a big show for you today. We have the opportunity for you to get in and talk to us about whatever's on your mind. And we've got some developments as they relate to next summer for the U.S. men's national team that could be troubling. Uh, we, right now, we're working on a couple of other things. We'll let you know um, if we can grab somebody else. We're going to get Jonathan Johnson, our friend who covers League One, League Un in France. We'll talk to him in a couple of minutes. So let's go ahead and run down the news before we get to Michelle Johnson, and then we'll talk to him, and then we'll talk to you. That's the way of uh, that's the way things will go today. Let's start the UEFA Champions League. Manchester United finishing off Club Bruges for nothing in Belgium. A win for United and seven one on aggregate. They advance into the group stage of the Champions League. Same for Bayer Leverkusen, who overcame a one nothing first leg deficit to beat Lazio three one on aggregate, three zero on the day. CSKA Moscow advances 3-4-3 on aggregate after they beat Sporting Lisbon 3-1 at home. Apoel Nicosia and FC Astana draw 1-1 and Astana advances 2-1 on aggregate. And Partisan Belgrade 2-1 over Bate Borisov. Aggregate score 2-2 and Bate moves on on away goals. Here's that troubling bit of news for next summer. Combable President Juan Angel Naput says Copa America 2016 will go ahead. It is the centennial, centennial year of Copa America, but that it may not be in the United States. They are still tracking some developments. He is. Uh, he, we will have to wait for some things to happen, review some things. It sounds uh, a little troubling. It sounds as though the continuing investigation into FIFA malfeasance and the uh, bribery scandal uh, that impacted... Uh, the executives from Traffic Sports who were involved in this project and uh, clearly some uh, major officials in CONCACAF and Comnibol is having an impact on the plans for Copa America 2016. That, ske- that tournament is tentatively scheduled for June of 2016. The Vancouver Whitecaps are the 2015 Voyagers Cup champions. That's Can- uh, Canada's Cup championship. They won 2 nothing over Montreal last night. That uh, aggregate score ended up being 4-2 in favor of Vancouver after a 2-2 draw in Montreal. Octavio Rivero, let me try that again, Octavio, Octavio Rivero and Tim Parker scored for the Whitecaps. FC Galaxy, FC Galaxy, what is wrong with my brain right now? LA Galaxy defender Todd Dunovit announces that he will retire after the 2015 season. He's been dealing with injuries for the last couple of years that have severely uh, limited his ability to contribute to the Galaxy at one point. 2011 comes to mind. He was one of the best defenders in MLS. He made over 280 appearances in the league, playing for San Jose, the New York Red Bulls, Toronto FC, and the LA Galaxy. CONCACAF Champions League results from last night. The Seattle Sounders went down to Honduras with a 
B-minus squad and lost 1-0 to Olympia. San Francisco of Panama beat Carretero 2-1. And Herediano of Costa Rica drew 1-1 with Tigres of Mexico. And then in MLS last night, the Chicago Fire with a big win over the New York Red Bulls, 3-2. Kennedy and Bovenique scoring twice for the Fire, including the game winner. And the Rapids beat the Dynamo 2-1 on a late goal from Kevin Doyle. So a big win for a couple of teams at the bottoms of the standings. That's the last place team in each conference getting a win last night on Wednesday in midweek action. Today, later on today, we've got the Champions League group stage drawn now that all of the teams uh, that are in that uh, group stage have been determined. I'll be tracking that later on on SiriusXMFC if you want to follow along there. But just keep an eye out for it if you forgot that that's the thing that's happening today. There you go. It's the Champions League draw coming up. Uh, I believe that that's around 11.45 a.m. Eastern, although I'll have to check on the time just to make sure that that's the case. All right, we've lined up Jonathan Johnson. We'll talk some league on with him for about 15 minutes, and then we'll get into discussions with you, including that distressing news about Copa America 2016 out of the mouth of the Combo Bowl president. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning right here on trying to get something. Uh, oh, there we go. Soccer morning right here on worldsoccertalk.com. I will get all the buttons right. My voice will get better. I promise. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. This Sunday, it's the return of MLS Rivalry Week as the New York Red Bulls take on DC United live on Fox Sports 1 at 7 p.m. Eastern. For a different experience, I'd like to invite you to mute the TV and listen to me on Rabble.tv as I share my thoughts and analysis live during the 90 minutes. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in too by post- posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Red Bulls against D.C. on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we're back on Soccer Morning on a Thursday, and we're happy to have a friend of the show, Jonathan Johnson, who covers League 1. You can follow him on Twitter at John, John J-O-N underscore Legossip. Uh, hello, John. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. And yourself? I'm, I'm doing fine. All right, so we've got some, uh, some movement as the, as the transfer window gets closer to, to closing into League 1 uh, in terms of loans. I, I'll start with, uh, with maybe one of the dominoes that fell uh, in regards to some of these moves, and that's uh, Monaco losing in the um, in. I just lost Jonathan Johnson. Uh, I apologize for that. Let me see if I can grab him again. Uh, <laughs> we'll actually see if uh, Trevor. This is not the best show so far. Uh, we just completely dropped that call. Yeah, let's take a let's take a quick break. We're just going to do this dry. No reason for music. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, I'll have Jonathan Johnson. My apologies. Soccer morning. Be right back. All right, we're back on Soccer Morning. My apologies for that uh, technical malfunction, but we do have Jonathan Johnson. And provided uh, no one cuts the line this time, we should have a good discussion here about Liga. Let me, uh, let me get back into this, Jonathan. Monaco 
uh, out of the Champions League after losing in, in the qualifying round. Uh, what does this mean for that club? Yeah, well, like I said to you uh, when we last spoke, you know, this game against Valencia was really key, certainly with regards to futures of a number of players. Uh, it now looks like uh, the elimination uh, is now going to cost them, uh, you know, a couple a couple of those players that that, uh, that we were talking about, Levin Kazawa, expected to be uh, unveiled officially by by Paris Saint Germain, you know, any time now. Really, uh, it should happen by the end of the day. Uh, it looks like Ayman Abdenour uh, is is also going to be leaving as well. Uh, they've moved quickly to to replace Kazawa. They already have uh, Fabio Quintrao in on loan from Real Madrid, you know, so that was quite an intelligent move from them. Uh, you know, a low-cost operation, which uh, which is important for them. So they're they're bringing money into the club, which is going to make up for uh, you know for the money that they're not receiving for taking part in the Champions League. Uh, I think that this is a very strong Monaco side. They need some time to gel. We certainly saw that over the two games against Valencia. Their defence isn't as strong as it was last season. So Leonardo Jardim definitely has something to work on there. Uh, but I think that when you look at the quality of the squad and the depth that they have, I definitely think that they're capable of doing something in the Europa league if they really put their minds to it you know if they focus on it make it an objective of theirs i definitely think that they could go on a deep run you know perhaps even go all the way to the final however you do wonder if the europa league is going to prove a bit of a distraction for them uh, and perhaps stop them from being able to make uh, you know a real fist of a, of a title tilt against psg so it'll be interesting especially when you bear in mind uh, you know the fact that those two meet in league um, this weekend uh, on on Sunday night, mm. and if PSG were to win that, then they already have a, a significant margin uh, ahead of Monaco, and we're only a month into the season. Uh, it's some pretty tough scheduling for for Monaco. Now, the, the club's vice president came out and said after they they fell um, to Valencia, we don't need to sell any stars. Was he posturing there? Because as as we're seeing, you know, things are happening already. Yeah, I think he was posturing because at the end of the day, Monaco don't need to sell players. Of course they don't. But the, you know, the, the thing is, they, they've done so much business over the summer already that they, you know, some of the players that they managed to convince to stay for the moment after, after that business had been done, you know, it, it really depended on, uh, on, on them qualifying for the Champions League. You know, like, like he said, like Vadim Vasiliev said, after revealing that uh, Levin Kazawa is to join PSG, uh, you know, the defender uh, decided that he wanted to, to, to make the move. The club wanted to keep him. They were able to keep him financially. However, it was the player's choice and they didn't want to stand in his way. He also admitted that every player at Monaco has their price. Uh, you know, even if they do want to keep him. And at the end of the day, uh, it, it goes back to, to Monaco being this sort of uh, French equivalent of, uh, of, of Porto in Portugal. You know, there is no player that's indispensable to this club. Every player uh, can and will be sold if the price is right. It's a little different living, I imagine, living in Monaco and, and uh, the, the, the pay it's going to be for Kazawa and, and then going to, to Paris. We talked about this dynamic before, Jonathan. I just remain fascinated by how Monaco fits into the grander scheme of Ligue 1 and some of those issues that they've had with, uh, with, with taxes and the like. Well, they've, they've got fewer financial problems now. Uh, they did have to pay uh, you know, a 50 million euro fee uh, in order to remain based in Monaco. Uh, which has now been thrown out by the courts in France, so they're fine on uh, on, on that front. Uh, yes, they do still have an advantage because of the the, the tax situation there. That might not be the case uh, for that much longer, but for now, you know, it's still a big benefit for them, and it allows them to attract players uh, to the principality uh, that you know other league on sides might not be able to attract, and you know the PSG might not have 
space in their squad for. Uh, I, I don't think that Kazar is going to be missing out on anything uh, by, by by moving sure. to PSG from Monaco. Uh, you know, I, th- I think he'll be getting a better financial deal uh, at PSG. Uh, but the you know, you know the, the the problem for Monaco is not necessarily. Uh, their their salary now is the fact that they've got to try and stay within uh, the, the the bounds of financial fair play. You know, when financial fair play came in, that that completely changed the project for Monaco because, as you said, uh, it must be very different living in Monaco to living anywhere else in France. It is it is it's completely different because you know Monaco is a place that doesn't have many permanent residents, and there's you know so many. Uh, it, effects that that has on, on Monaco as a club, you know, one of them being that they don't have, you know, a really strong fan base when they play at home, so they never fill up uh, the Stade Louis Deux. It's a very small stadium anyway, but you barely ever see them uh, get capacity crowds, and when that stadium is full, uh, you know, it's normally for, 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 for a different type of game, you know, perhaps like a UEFA Super Cup or something like that, uh, you know, and, and a lot of these factors contribute to, to the fact that Monaco aren't really able to bring in much uh, in the way of commercial revenue, which is you know one of the main reasons why they're unable to compete with uh, PSG's lavish yeah, project. Yeah. I, I don't I don't understand. I mean, you've you've opened this up now, and, and I'm going to follow this line of thinking, Jonathan. I don't understand how Monaco gets around financial fair play. I know some of the teeth has been uh, you know they retracted a little bit of the teeth of the rule, as far as I, I understand. Uh, this is obviously Michelle Platini's uh, baby. Is this? Is without the turnover uh, of a PSG um, or some of these bigger clubs in Europe, how does Monaco manage to stay within the bounds of financial fair play? Well, that's what uh, you know. That's what we're seeing now. This uh, this transformation of Monaco, going from the project that saw them bringing in the likes of Falcao, James Rodriguez, Hal Moutinho, uh, you know, they're now trying to get rid of some of those players. They're trying to tone down their wage bill a, a bit. Uh, but the only player currently on their wage bill that they really need to get rid of because he was, uh, you know, so his salary was agreed, uh, you know, during the previous phase of the project is Moutinho. The rest of them are all under, uh, you know, sort of their new uh, wage limit, which means that, you know, they're not overpaying their players anymore. So if they can get rid of Moutinho, then that will take care of that aspect of it. And then, uh, you know, what Monaco have decided consciously uh, a, a couple of years ago once financial fair play was brought in, was that the the way forward for them to combat the the lack of commercial revenue that they make uh, was to just keep selling players, you know, to bring in very good young talents, uh, raise them up, and you know, try and sell them on for a massive profit. I mean, we saw it happen with uh, Jeffrey Kondogbia, bought for approximately 20 million euros, uh, and Monaco doubled his price, uh, you know, in sort of in the space of two seasons. And it's that sort of business that that Monaco are looking to do now. They're looking to buy cheap. Uh, you know, and sell very big, and you know it, it has the potential to be a, to be a successful project. However, one of the big downfalls of that is that it puts a lot of pressure on a coach like Leonardo Jardim to keep the team winning on the pitch. Uh, you know, while uh, the squad is constantly being changed, uh, you know it doesn't really give him too many guarantees when you have uh, you know some very talented players, but you know that they're not going to be around for very long, and that you know some of these star players could be sold off at any time. If, uh, if another club comes in with a big enough offer, because at the end of the day, Monaco rely on, on, the, on their players being desirable to bigger clubs, uh, you know, and for the very biggest teams in Europe to come in and make, uh, you know, eye-watering offers. Let's turn to a different club uh, getting a player on loan from Real Madrid, and that's Marseille. Lucas Silva moving uh, to France. This is, um, what, what kind of move is this for Marseille, and what does it say about their ambition, and what can he bring to the club? 
Yeah, I think it's a very interesting move. You know, Lucas Silva is a is a player who has a lot of potential. You know, he's very highly rated. Real Madrid, uh, you know, picked him up after he uh, after he started with Cruzeiro. Uh, big things are expected of him. Didn't really fit in uh, in Madrid for the moment. You know, he's, he's behind uh, a, a long pecking order of players. Uh, and as soon as Michel came in, uh, you know, a Spanish coach who knows La Liga well, uh, he identified. Um, Silver is one of the players that he wanted to try and bring in. The club have moved quickly to try and secure him. Uh, there was a bit of interest uh, from other teams in uh, in bringing him in on loan, but it sounds like the player was impressed with the with the facilities, with the vision that Michel has uh, for the team. I'm sure he was also impressed by the fact that Marseille managed to thump Troyes 6-0 uh, on Michel's debut. You know, I'm sure that that helped as well. Uh, and you know, I think it's 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 a loan with without an option to buy. So mm. Marseille know that the player is only going to be there for this season. You know, there's no real chance of them being able to keep him in the future and be able to buy him permanently because it just costs too much money. But it's a really good opportunity for the club because they get a quality player who might be able to help them qualify for the uh, for the Europa League again or perhaps even the Champions League. And for the player, it's excellent because he gets. Uh, you know, a bit of match practice in Europe. He's going to get European competition as well in the Europa League, uh, and it'll also give Real Madrid an opportunity to see, you know, how he fares in a in a competitive European league. You know, and I think it I think it'll be a bit of a shock for him initially how physical Ligue 1 is, but I think that if he can make a success for himself in France, then I think he definitely has a chance of going back uh, to Real Madrid and impressing. You know, it could be sort of a, 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 it's similar to the, the Casemiro deal uh, that took him to Porto and then saw him go back to Real Madrid. However, it just won't involve you know any financial transactions this time. Uh, you identified the big game on the weekend at Sunday, Monaco hosting uh, PSG, so we'll be on the lookout for that. But before I run out of time with you, Jonathan, just a quick look ahead to today's uh, Champions League draw and uh, and and what you you know what you see or what you what what would be. Um, best and worst for a club like PSG, who obviously has designs on the championship. Yeah, I mean you've got uh, it, it, it has the potential to be a very difficult draw uh, for PSG. I mean you just look at that that second pot. You've got the likes of uh, both the Madrid sides. You've got an Arsenal. Uh, Manchester United, Manchester City. So I think, you know, ideally for PSG, they're probably going to be looking at the likes of uh, of a Porto, Valencia, Bayer Leverkusen, and that sort of side to pick up from pot two. But, you know, there's some very tough sides in, uh, in in pot three as well. There's teams, uh, you know, that play in places that, that, that teams like PSG are not going to want to go to, like so Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, you know, Dynamo Kiev as well, CSK Moscow, Galatasaray, all very tough, you know, AS Roma as well, uh, and, and, and Sevilla. So, uh, you know, I think that, that PSG will probably be hoping to avoid one of the really big guns uh, in pot two. I don't think they'll be too uh, fussed about who they get from pot three, although they would prefer to, to avoid somebody like uh, Sevilla or Roma. Uh, you know, and then I think they'll perhaps be hoping for one of the smaller sides in pot four, you know, again, to, uh, Malmo perhaps, uh, you know, that would be, a lot of nostalgia there for Zlatan Ibrahimovic sure. if, uh, yeah. if PSG were to, to to draw his his formative club. But I don't think they'll be too worried about uh, about the draw and facing anybody there. At the end of the day, you know, I think their attitude towards it will be that you know if they want to win the the whole competition, they're going to have to be the best at some point. So I don't think they'll be too worried if they do get drawn against uh, a, a big size in their group. However, I think the you know the real worry will be for for somebody like Leon sat down there in pot three. You know the chances of them getting one or two very big teams, you know, is quite high. Yeah, obviously going to be very difficult for for Leon having uh, having been placed in pot pot three here. Uh, it just you know, if you have, I mean, I guess you can't really give me an idea, handicap uh, the, the the possibility of Leon, 
advancing from the group stage without knowing what their draw will be. But regardless, it's going to be incredibly difficult. I, I, it just, it, but based on the strength of the squad um, at Lyon, are they a team capable of doing that? Yeah, I think they're definitely capable of it. Uh, I, I think at, at the moment before the draw is made, what Leon have to be telling themselves is that, you know, at the very least, whoever they get, they have to be aiming for that third place so that, you know, if they do go after the Champions League, then at least they stay in Europe and they're in the Europa League. But, you know, I think on, on their day, Leon are definitely capable of, of, of challenging a number of uh, top sides, you know, and I think that, you know, there, there won't be that many teams uh, in pots one and two who, who are looking uh, into pot three and looking at Leon and thinking, you know, that they, uh, you know, w- wouldn't mind drawing them. There's a lot of talent there. Uh, if 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 Leon can get uh, Alexandre Lacazette, you know, fully rejuvenated and focused on his football again, you know, then they're going to be a, uh, you know, a formidable side to come up against. And I I think that they stand uh, a decent chance of being able to progress from their group, but they will need a bit of luck in that draw, uh, you know, to avoid some of the, you know, some of the biggest sides. But at, at the very minimum, I think that Leon can be targeting. Uh, you know, an extended run in Europe, but it might be uh, in the Europa League as opposed to, you know, getting out of the Champions League group stages and continuing uh, in, in the same sort of way that, that Monaco did last season. Jonathan Johnson covers League on, joins us uh, to talk about the Champions League, some of the moves into League on this season. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. I'll let you go. People go follow him, J O N underscore La Gossip. Thank you very much, John. Thanks a lot for having me. Speak to you soon. There goes Jonathan Johnson. Good stuff from him. Now it's time to open up the phone lines and let you get in on this show. Eight, sorry, 646-832-3909 is the phone number. So call me up. We'll talk to you. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. This Sunday, it's the return of MLS Rivalry Week as the New York Red Bulls take on DC United live on Fox Sports 1 at 7 p.m. Eastern. For a different experience, I'd like to invite you to mute the TV and listen to me on Rabble.tv as I share my thoughts and analysis live during the 90 minutes. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by post- posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Red Bulls against D.C. on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on a Thursday edition of Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Phone lines are now open. Call in, talk to Trevor, and then if you want to stick around and talk to me, that's okay too. 646-832-3909. And I want to know how you feel about the news out of South America. Out of the mouth of the president of Combable, Juan Angel Naput. I'm going with Naput. That it's very possible that the 100th edition of the Copa America, which was slated for the United States, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to combine CONCACAF and Combable and be huge, be massive for American soccer. Another, another statement from another official that puts that tournament in serious doubt. 
The 100th anniversary will have a celebration, and this will be on the field. We want to have a Copa Centenario. It's on the FIFA calendar, and the idea is for it to be played. Whether it would be played in the United States? Question mark. We have to wait for some things to happen. Review some things. Now, again, that doesn't, doesn't sound good. Sounds troublesome. Sounds like there's some real question behind the scenes as to whether they can sort out the mess that was caused by the people who wrapped, got wrapped up in the FIFA scandal. I mean, really, this is Loretta Lynch's fault, right? I mean, that's, that's, we, we should be upset. I'm kidding, of course. Loretta Lynch doing her job. Very fine with her doing her job. And again, this comes back around to this issue, this, this mental uh, equation we have to do. How much are you willing to accept the United States' involvement in trying to take down FIFA corruption if it means losing out on things like Copa Centenario and a possible World Cup in 2026? Because guess what? The United States is not going to be viewed very favorably around the world by people who are currently in charge of world football, especially if they're going to be targeted by the FBI and the Justice Department. Those people are not happy. We had also touch on the MLS results last night. What the heck is going on around here? But it is MLS, so it's never surprising. Two last place teams. Chicago Fire beating the Red Bulls. That's the bigger surprise of the two. Colorado beating Houston, okay, at home, sure, whatever. I mean, Colorado went a long time without winning at home. But now they've apparently figured that out. And the Fire, who are now have 26 points, I guess they keep their slim hopes of a playoff spot alive. They are now currently, for the time being, only two points back of the impact in sixth place. I mean, that's how crazy the Eastern Conference is. Uh, you know, I think that your brain does a couple of different things when you look at the standings. Your brain wants to go, wait a second, hold on. The Fire in last. The Union are in ninth. Orlando's in eighth. That's bad. Your brain says, 10th place, bad. But then you look over, you scan over to the column that says games play or points and then games play, and you go, whoa, wait, hold on, wait, hold on, wait, hold on. Not that bad. Only two points out. Now, Montreal's got games in hand on everybody. We talked about this recently. They've only played 22 times. Chicago has now played 25 times. But they do. Chicago has a game in hand on everybody else in the Eastern Conference. Everybody that's ahead of them. People are guessing as to why I'm dressed like this. Didn't I say at the top of the show what the hell the deal was? I mean, you want to continue guessing. Maybe you missed the top of the show. We got some good, yeah. Announcing his official run for FIFA presidency. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, yes, I'd like to announce officially that, uh, no, I'm not running for FIFA. Are you kidding me? Please. And Mark says he's become a Bond villain. He's actually kidnapped Precky and wears Precky as a cover for all his evil ways. <laughs> I like that one. Where is Precky, guys? Where is Precky? 646 832 3909. Nothing else. Call me up and compliment compliment me on my threats. We've got uh, we've got the MLS results. We've got this Copa Bowl Copa Centenario development. We've got Champions League last night again. It was always going to be difficult for the Sounders. They're in a dogfight just to maintain their playoff spot in the Western Conference. And I saw oh man, here it is, Paul Carr from ESPN, the stats guy over there. They ran simulations on the rest of the MLS season. 10,000 of them. 
and pull and pulled out the percentage chance that these teams make the the teams make the playoffs. We can start in the East. I'll just go ahead and get this out of the way. Apparently, there is a one hundred percent chance that the that DC United makes the playoffs. One hundred percent chance. With what seven games to go for them? Something like that. One hundred percent chance. They're currently leading the Eastern Conference by four, by five points over the New York Red Bulls. New York is at 99.8%. Columbus, 96. Toronto, 95%. Is it? Look, you, you can't count your chickens. They got to hatch, all that stuff. But if you're a Toronto FC fan, do you kind of get, do you start getting ready to, for the celebration? Because there's going to be a celebration, right? Do you start getting ready to, to, you know, throw the confetti and get the noisemakers out and wear the party hats? Because. Looking like they're going to be a playoff team in 2015. And that's never happened before. New England, 83%. So that's down to number five. Montreal, 65%. Right now they hold the sixth position. And then it drops off the table right there. New York City, 25%. Orlando, 18%. Philadelphia, 11%. Chicago, 6%. I don't know if that's changed with last night's win, but they're down there and they're rightfully down there. And now we go to the Western Conference. And here's where it gets really interesting, especially for that team that I just mentioned, the Seattle Sounders. The Vancouver Whitecaps, 99.6%. They're not even leading the West right now. I don't know if they did this before. I don't know when they ran this, but whatever. Vancouver's at 99.6%. Uh, LA, 97%. Sporting Kansas City, 93%. FC Dallas, 87. Portland, 86. Portland looking pretty good for a playoff berth. San Jose, 68. San Jose right now is in seventh position. Who's in sixth position? The Seattle Sounders. 34% chance to make the playoffs. Now, obviously, this is this means nothing, really. It's just a, a guess. Uh, not a guess, but they've run some simulations. They've looked at the season so far. They've considered all of the possibilities. And based on the way things have gone, this is the, the percentage chance. Then it goes Houston 22, Real Salt Lake 9, and Colorado 5. So it gets real dicey below that. And I still, I'm still fascinated by the possibility. I don't wa- I'm not rooting against your team, Seattle. Not rooting against the Sounders at all. But I'm fascinated by what might happen if the Seattle Sounders miss the playoffs this year. What kind of shakeup? would come to Seattle if the Sounders missed the playoffs. Would Siggy Schmidt lose his job? Would there be a vote on the GM position? Because isn't that a thing? Or did they get rid of it because they hired Garth Lagerway? Because he's the GM now, right? Isn't Garth Lagerway the, the general man? How does that work within their d- democratic process for voting out a, a GM? I don't understand that. Somebody explain that to me. I forgot to, to even think about that when he was hired. Because Adrian Hanauer had to go through that process, right? When he held the position of general manager, even though he's obviously a, an incredibly invested individual in the team, he's not going to go anywhere as a figure within the team, but he's, he had the job. Hmm. Seattle is a, cl- a, a club with incredible ambition. 
I mean, in terms of MLS standards, is there a more ambitious club in MLS? I mean, you could say the Galaxy are right there. Galaxy may may just go past Seattle, but Seattle's the, the team that gets 45,000 people in the stands. Seattle's the team that made Clint Dempsey to MLS happen with their willingness to be the ones to step up and spend that money. Now, LA got Giovanni DeSantos, which is the same sort of coup. I, I, it's to be a fascinating offseason if Seattle misses the playoffs. Uh, Roberto. Hello? Roberto. Yes. What's going on, my hey, man? Jason, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Um, just first of all, what a lovely uh, clothes that you have there on the uh, on the screen. <laughs> What's the occasion? Uh, my I have my kids meet the teacher day after after the show, like immediately after I get done with Sirius. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, no, I just have one thought because I um, don't have enough time. But firstly, uh, obviously, you see the um, the, uh, the groups uh, draw for today. And what do you think is a um, I guess you could say an ideal group for a side, maybe? Like Barcelona, for example. All right, let's see. Let's see. If you're Barcelona, I would imagine it's mm, it's uh, Porto, probably. Yeah, mm. Porto. Uh, and you don't really want you don't want that travel to uh, Eastern Europe, and you probably don't want to play in Turkey. <laughs> uh, maybe Lyon. I mean, Lyon's without a bad side, but maybe Lyon, or uh, you know, because uh, you got Shakhtar in there, you got uh, Dynamo Kiev in there. So both of the Ukrainian sides. Olympiacos, do you really want to go to Olympiacos? Uh, maybe. Uh, that might not be the end of the world. So maybe Olympiacos mm-hmm. or Lyon. Uh, I don't think you really want to go to Roma. I mean, not that Roma's great, but I don't know if you want to go to Roma. And then <laughs> pot four. Ooh, uh, Bate maybe. Although oh, that's Eastern Europe again. Uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv. That's probably, that's probably a, and Malmo. Malmo and Astana. So yeah, I mean, there, there's some there's some possibility. I would say Porto, Lyon, and I'll go with Malmo. What do you think would be a mouthwatering and difficult group for any of the teams if you had to make like one difficult? Oh, group if I'm making a, if I'm making an incredible like group of death type situation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. see. Well, I don't really want to see Barcelona, Manchester City again. Can we just skip that one, please? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Definitely. So I'm gonna say Barca. Barca United, yeah, Barca United, uh, um, CSKA Moscow, or Roma, Barca United, Barca United, Roma, and Wolfsburg, yeah. That is a tough group, that is a, yeah, well, I don't know about Wolfsburg, uh, being that strong anymore, except uh, well, no, but okay, fi- well, but we know, and we know, Gladbach started off the season terribly in Germany, so I'm not sure yeah. that they're they're as scary as they once were. I mean, pot four: Bate Borisov, Gladbach, Wolfsburg, Dynamo Zagreb, Maccabi Tel Aviv, Ghent, Malmo, and Astana. There's really not a. I mean, the German sides are the strongest sides in that group, in that pot. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. All right, thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Good stuff, Roberto. That's always fun. The imaginary group stage draw is always fun. Blake, up in whiskey. What's going on? This is Ray in Milwaukee. Hey, Ray. Yeah, Trevor can't hear today. He's got issues. He's got issues with his headset. He should know that if somebody is in Wisconsin, it's going to be Ray. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ray. Uh, um, well, I was just wondering about uh, Copa America and what they were talking about. Um, 
not, I mean, they talk about having it, but were they talking about uh, switching it just to all South American teams? I, I think that that's what he, have, I think that's what he was implying, Ray. I think that if they don't have it in the United States, there's really no reason for them to invite everybody else, right? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's still talking about blowing up, you know, blowing it up and having both confederations involved. Um, I mean, you know, we've already had the the qualifying element for Concacaf, right? The Gold Cup was part of that, wasn't it? Right, yeah. right. And uh, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna happen here in the United States, anyways, only because there's just so much money that can be made if you're gonna have a special one. I, I just think money talks over anything. It, it does. Why the situation it, we're in? It does. Um, I don't know. Do you think? I mean, I guess, I guess the television rights are are more are more lucrative if you're involving CONCACAF teams beyond Mexico, but Mexico's driving a bunch of... I mean, I suppose if you give the United States an invite and you make it a 16-team tournament instead of, instead of 12, that you are helping yourself make money, and ultimately we know that that's what this is all about. I mean, they, look, I think there's obviously a reason to have a centennial celebration of Copa America. It's just that they do this tournament so often. I mean, we just had one. They had one in Chile, so we're going to do another one next summer. I, I wonder if this is... I didn't even think about that, Ray. I, want, I just assumed that this meant going back to a 12-team tournament in the normal Copa America fashion. But they could. They could still involve Mexico, uh, United States, uh, whoever else qualifies. I think it's Costa Rica, and then after that, maybe Jamaica, and then uh, an UNCAF uh, side, another UNCAF side. I don't know. Well, they're going to need two other teams anyways because it, it, means, and it only makes sense even if they were to shorten the tournament. They usually take two CONCACAF teams most of the time anyways. Yeah, well, no, they take one CONCACAF team in Mexico, and then they invite somebody like Japan, or they like, invite somebody like Jamaica. <laughs> it, it happened to be Jamaica this time around, so another CONCACAF team. But in the past, it's been, it hasn't always been two CONCACAF teams. Right, right. right. Yeah, I, um, I, mean, I, I, just want the, I just want the United States involved, Ray. I mean, that's for me, as, a, right. as being selfish as a fan, I just want the U.S. involved. Of course I want it to happen here, because it would be huge. But at this point, with all this uncertainty around it, I, I don't know if I blame Commable for saying, wait a second, hold on. Let's just go back to our old thing and, and forget all this nonsense. Yeah, I can see that, too. Um, and then uh, a little bit about what you were talking about yesterday, about uh, you know soccer culture in America and from a British perspective. Yeah. Uh, um, I find it funny when I read these soccer blogs and these soccer podcasts and their bios and they say that they're giving you the American perspective of sport of soccer but I would say uh, we have to be careful in general when we talk about American perspective of any sport because uh, a poor inner city minority is going to look at sport in general and a totally different perspective from a white suburbanite and it's not saying that one perspective is more american than the other or this is the way that the sport should be looked at as an american perspective and i really find that as a hispanic american who loves this game that you know that there is a lack of perspective of all american perspective of the sport not just the no, you're right. You're uh, quote right. Quote unquote, American perspective of sport. You're right. You're right. That's uh, it's a, it's a. Again, I come back to this monolithic view of American culture, which is probably not fair. And and look, every country has various types of cultures within it, 
if we're going to talk about what, how those all combine and create an American sports culture, I think what you're talking about is leaning on history. Now, history has its problems because there's a lot of uh, discrimination and, and racism and uh, marginalization in that history. But when, I, when we talk about American perspective, I think what we mean is let's, uh, you know, we're coming, at, we're coming at the sport from the same sort of angle we would come at American football or baseball or basketball. And maybe that, again, maybe that's not the right way to do it, Ray. And I'm glad, look, I'm glad. It's part of the reason we have phone calls, right? Is that you can call up and give right. your perspective and, you know, whoever wants to call up can call up and give their perspective. I just happen to be the guy sitting here. I don't necessarily need to be directing. You know, I'm just really kind of steering people. I don't necessarily need to be the one uh, imposing my views or um, whatever on, on anybody else. I mean, that's the whole point. We're trying to figure out what the hell our culture is, Ray, as a group. I mean, right, you know, right. I, I want you to be part of my culture, but at the same time, you're part of your own culture, and so am I, and et cetera, et cetera. That, that makes it complicated. Right, which, you know, I, I don't have a massive problem with, you know, I like, I, I, when I talk about bringing diversity to soccer, I just don't mean, because uh, I care more about MLS than I do about the EPL, but I would also say, you know, and if you're an English language network that covers soccer, in my personal opinion, having diversity in your program, I think only is going to uh, get better viewership. You know, there's people that are bilingual who are preferring to watch EPL in Spanish because, you know, of a cultural thing and they kind of feel that, uh, you know, th- their perspective of soccer is, uh, this, is how, well, this is what they kind of grew up watching. But, you know, the fact is there's a lot of Latin Americans that are playing in the EPL and yet there's no Latin American on television, and yet you have such a large fan base that is bilingual speaking in general. It's inter- that's an interesting point. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there's obvi- there's some efforts. I mean, uh, the only one that comes to mind is Alejandro Moreno on, on ESPN. Um, right. But even that is, that's it. yeah, I mean, even that's probably not, you know, probably not a full representation. And uh, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a complicated thing, Roberto. And I think I think it's tough for the people making these decisions. Now, sometimes these people are just, they're in a box and they don't think outside their box and they're old white guys and they make old white guy decisions. And, and that's a, that's a problem. Um, you know, that's a problem for, that's a problem for somebody like me, Ray. I mean, full disclosure, I wrestle with st- that stuff all the time sitting here going, Oh crap. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I'm a middle-class white guy. Uh, pretty much, you know, I've, I've had a lot of advantages in my life and I'm pretty much the, the group that, that the whole world has been, uh, tilted for my entire life. So if and when it comes to the opportunities that are available, I, I can't, you know, do I feel bad about the fact that I'm the, the, the middle-class white guy, you know, getting a chance to do something? I mean, I built this, we built this on our own, so I don't think this counts. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be the guy who's, like, taking the opportunity. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be somebody who takes a job from, from somebody else who could add diversity. You know what I mean? Right, I get what you're saying, but I mean, I like your show because you bring in an uh, array of diversity, opinion, and perspective. I mean, nobody that I know of at these other soccer podcasts or, you know, other things are bringing in these many experts from all over the world. That's why, you know, I I think that's what American soccer really is, mm-hmm. and so that's why I like your show a lot. Well, I appreciate that, and, Ray. And, Go ahead. And, and just in closing, you know, um, uh, uh, as a Hispanic American in the last World Cup, I saw two Hispanic American, two two Latino faces on English language network doing games, and I thought that was a watershed moment in all of sports. 
not just in soccer. And then, you know, when people went out here and I listened to certain podcasts and read certain blogs and people used the word homers coverage, bias coverage, pandering and catering to, and yet, you know, the England national team had all English crew calling their games and these same reporters and same podcasters said nothing about the bias or a personal opinion. And I, I, I don't get that myself. You know, I, I think that there's room for all everybody, uh, and that's because that's what we are. You know, that's, that's funny that you mentioned that. You're, you're talking about uh, Palomo and, and Moreno. Is that what you're talking about? Right. Yeah. The, 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 talk about the people throwing around the, the allegation of bias coverage. Neither one of those guys are Mexican. I mean, you know, I, I obviously, right. obviously they've been close to Mexican soccer for various reasons based on, on where they work and where they live and, and, and that kind of thing. But, I mean, neither one of them is Mexican. That, that's a ridiculous claim. Right, and I would just say that the, the, uh, the reason why is because uh, knowing that's part of their job, knowing the team. Yeah, of course. You know, any good crew's going to know your team. Of, it does, and, you know, and, if you're going to cover a team, you should know and, and look, the ins and the, outs I'm, sh- I'm sure that both of them were working hard not to be overtly biased, but that's also part of the – first of all, that's part of the culture. Let's let's be clear about that. And second of all, right. second of all, the reason they were doing Mexico games is because of Mexico, not because of whoever Mexico was playing. So the notion of being right. completely unbiased. I mean, again, people get on 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 people like Alexi Lalas or or Winalda or Twelman if they even have a hint of of homerism. Those guys, you can't squeeze it all out. You can't. I mean. I understand that they should be striving for that, but you can't possibly squeeze out every ounce of American, you know, from Alexi Lawless. He's going to be biased. And ESPN, I think ESPN, right. Fox, Fox for the women's coverage, which I think they took a cue from ESPN, but certainly ESPN during the World Cup coverage made a conscious decision. You know, screw this nonsense about being impartial. We're going to have Americans on this on this day on this stage. We're going to have Germans. We're going to have. Um, Mexicans, we're going to have people who are obviously biased, but that actually might mean that they're more critical of their teams than somebody who isn't biased because they want to see the best right. out of their teams. You know what I'm saying? I agree. Yeah. I agree. And, I, and I, like I said, I, I think there's room for all of it. So yeah. I, um, it, it's just weird that you see so much foreign perspective and yet uh, uh, the only perspective that you don't see is the Mexican perspective, and yet arguably they're the largest fan base outside of the U.S. and I would say English language fan base as well. Yeah, I, I really do think, and this is why there are some people out there doing these things, uh, English language Mexican football podcasts. There are there is a massive opportunity for for some football analysis, some some soccer analysis in English from. Latino sources, and whether it's about Mexican football or or Central American football or MLS or whatever, and I know there's some of that out there, but it just doesn't seem as though there's as much uh, as needed, Ray. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Appreciate the call, Ray. Good talk. That's a real good talk. And I will say this, okay? Let me just put this because I have thought about this. Trevor and I have talked about this. There is a, there is certainly something else that can be done here. I I am very conscious of the fact that we should have more women on this show, that we should have more diversity in general on this show. I mean, we, we go all over the world, but it doesn't mean we're incredibly diverse. 
We're, and we try. We really do. It, it's a matter of we need to find those sources. We need to find those people who can bring that, that discussion to the table. And I have long wanted, and I don't know if it's going to come together anytime soon, but I've long wanted on this show to do a fuller examination of how race, race ethnicity, and culture play into the American soccer scene both in terms of youth soccer and the access and the coaching and where these kids end up and who sees them and how they get identified. And then beyond that, into how we view and watch professional soccer, how we, how we con- congregate as fans. I, want, I, I would love to do that. Now, it's a very dense subject, and there aren't a lot of people out there who are talking about these things. But, you know, you go back to me. I, I mentioned this. Um, I think I mentioned this on the SiriusXM show. You go back to my roots as a soccer guy or as a as a um as a blogger when I first started my blog in 2008 it wasn't necessarily intended to be game analysis I wasn't going to break down the US men's national team I, I did occasionally but really what my intention was at the time and it's fed into this program so while we talk about the results and we'll talk about the Champions League draw and we'll talk about this and that part of my uh, raison d'etre for this thing is to look into the culture of American soccer and its growth. This is why I went on my rant yesterday. Because these things are, are very dear to me. They're very important to me. The culture of American soccer, where it's going, what it is, how it's made up, who's involved. Everybody who has a stake in American soccer. I want to talk to those people. And, and we're going we're gonna to work harder to do that, I think. All right. Everybody, I think, uh, look, 646-832-3909. We're, we're winding down here quickly. If you guys want to get in, it's time to do that right now. We've heard from Ray. Uh, we've, uh, we've heard from Roberto. It's your turn. Get on the air. Talk to me. Champions League draw. Make the toughest group. Did I make the toughest group, Trevor? Is there a, give me your toughest group, Trevor. Can you do that off the top of your head? I don't know if you have it in front of you. You're a busy, man. You probably can't do it. Hit me up with your toughest group. On Twitter. Tim, Tim on Twitter. I'm at work, so I can't call in. When are you holding the first annual American Soccer Congress? <laughs> oh, my God, Trevor. An American soccer, maybe not Congress, but an American soccer uh, gathering in which we write up a Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Should we do that? Should we write up? Should we write up a symbolic declaration of independence? I don't know. That might not. That might be too far. <laughs> that might be. That might be. That might be up beyond the pale. Uh, we get a bunch of people. Uh, get a bunch of people in the room and hammer out a declaration of on this day, 2015. American soccer does declare. We declare these truths to be self-evident. Et cetera, et cetera. All right. <laughs> Man, I, I like that, Tim. That's real good. That's real good. And I, I'm getting some clarification. Ruben uh, is um, reminding me of the uh, situation is with the uh, with, with the GM out in Seattle. Don't elect GMs. We only get no confidence votes every four years, and only alliance members, which are season ticket holders. So um, it's and really that's that's it's it it doesn't actually have any impact on what the club does necessarily i mean they they can obviously listen to it there it'd be bad pr if they didn't didn't but clearly it's a situation where it's a it's a it seems important but it probably isn't ultimately important to everybody involved all right trevor's toughest group chelsea atletico madrid shakhtar donetsk and borussia mönchengladbach okay that's pretty good i don't know if you can do a tougher a tougher group than that 
I mean, you look pot A. Obviously, uh, it, it, tough, some of the toughest teams in Europe. Although Zenit is probably Zenit and Eindhoven, right on the bottom end of that. Yeah, Arsenal, Atleti, Atleti, and are in pot two are the toughest, uh, toughest outs. Yeah, City hasn't proven themselves in Europe, so I'm not sure you're afraid of them if you draw them. I mean, they're capable. And you have Real Madrid in pot two. I mean, think about that for a second. If you're Chelsea, you could conceivably draw Real Madrid, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, which is a, a tough side, a very tough side. I mean, Galatasaray, just going to Turkey, even if they're not the strongest team, is always tough. And then somebody like Gladbach or Wolfsburg. We'll find out uh, those groups a little bit later on in the day. In Monaco, that, that, uh, that event's in Monaco. Because, you know, FIFA, they've got this wonderful headquarters in Zurich, Switzerland. I, I don't know if you guys know this. They've got a beautiful headquarters in Zurich. They have these big chambers. They could probably rent out a hall in Zurich somewhere. I mean, you know, keep it local, you know, do something. But no, they got to go put on a show in Monaco so that all of the FIFA muckety mucks can go get their gamble on. They can, uh, they can uh, just l- sit around and enjoy the luxury of Monaco and the Principality. All right. Let's see. Uh, let's see. 646-832-3909. The, the phone lines have dried up. It seems as though this is enough for today. We could talk more about the Copa America, the situation with the Centenario Tournament, whether or not it's going to happen. We'll do that tomorrow. Maybe we'll get somebody on to give us some insight. You know who would be great for that? I'll tell you after, uh, after we get off the air, Trevor, because I just had an idea. But maybe we save it for off the air just in case it doesn't happen. All right. Thank you to everybody who called in. Thank you for your tweets. Uh, go, to, go to Soccer Morning. No, yeah, SoccerMorning.com is the website that we have. I keep forgetting about that. Also go to Backhill.com slash store and buy a mug. Sorry, SoccerMorning.net. Oh, yeah, some squatter on .com probably. SoccerMorning.net. I think you can watch the mini documentary on Soccer Morning over there. Things have changed a little bit. We need to, we need to update that. Okay, does anybody want to do a documentary on the new studio? I don't even have to be involved. All right, that's enough for that. We'll talk to you guys. Uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Big Friday edition of the show. Enjoy your uh, enjoy your Champions League draw. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What happened? My-